0: That's me, okay. Uh, today we're talking about developing relationships, deepening relationships. And this particular headline caught my attention. Beautiful Indonesian house for sale comes with free wife. Now, I I the I, first time I read it, I, I thought it comes with free Wi-Fi, which is good. Um, all right, men, tell me what's wrong with this headline. <laughs> there ain't no free wife. That is right. That's right. just doesn't exist. Okay, this was an ad in uh, Jakarta, evidently uh, this young lady uh, who was a single mother told her realtor, all you realtor ladies, uh, I know I have several realtors in our church, um, here's a new angle for you. She uh, was talking to her realtor and she said, I'd like to get married again, and so he said, well, how about we advertise like this, two bedroom, two bath, one wife, and that was kind of the ad. and the guy that uh, uh, put the ad in the paper <laughs> said that it's interesting. He said, um, "We had continuous calls. Now, the the one the one stipulation: listen to the ad. Buyers who don't negotiate the price can uh, ask this young lady to to marry them. But if you're <laughs> cheap, uh, you don't get the wife. That's kind of the deal. So, and he did say, now understand." Uh, you can buy the home without the wife, so that's a possibility. Now, I I bring this up because you you have a lady who is looking for relationship, and some of us fit in that boat, and most of us have relationships, maybe not like this, but relationships are difficult, and sometimes they're most difficult with the people that we love. So today we're going to talk about how We deepen relationships. You'll recall, if you were here last week, we kind of began this new series called Next. It's taken a a bit from a book by a guy named Kerry Shook, who talks about one month to live. And I think the title of the book is One Month to Live. And the question is asked, what would you do if you had, you know, if you had one month to live, what would you do? That's sort of the, 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 the thought behind this entire series. And people were asked that question, and when they were, overwhelmingly... The response wasn't that they would go do adventurous things, although there's nothing wrong with doing adventurous things. Uh, The thought wasn't that they would go to beautiful places, although it's great to go to beautiful places. The number one response when asked the question, what would you do if you only had one month to live, was I would want to be with the people that I love. I'd want to develop those relationships. And so last week, the question was sort of, how do I figure out what matters most? I want to live according to my passion. This week, the question is more this, how do I deepen the relationships that matter most? Because the assumption is, when when you ask the question, what, what matters most to me, you're going to come to the conclusion, relationships matter most to you. So if that's true, then what do we do to deepen relationships? And we kind of have our theme verse, and it's... Psalm ninety twelve, teach us to make the most of our time so that we may grow in wisdom. What a great prayer. Teach us to make the most of our time. So real quick review. Last week, we talked about the big picture is I want to determine to live my life with passion. Uh, there was a me piece. I've got to define my one month values. What, what matters most to me? Uh, the God piece, uh, I need to depend on God's power because I'm not going to be able to pull this off. On my own. That's sort of the the whole gist of what we talked about last week. Now I'm not going to ask how many people actually made a one month list. I know my powers of uh, persuasion are pretty uh, pretty pronounced, and I know most of you did this, and probably 95% of you went home immediately on Sunday afternoon. Uh, You jettisoned your nap because you're like, man, preacher wants me to make a list. I know that's most of you, and I don't want to embarrass the other people that didn't do it. So I'm not going to ask how many people made a list, but at least mentally, let's hope that we made a list of, like, these are the things that really are important to me. Um, my my aunt died about, I don't know, um, three or four months ago. I had the privilege of, of conducting her funeral back in Kentucky. Um, if you're from Kentucky, the thing most of us have a passion about is Kentucky basketball. We love Kentucky basketball. It's kind of a big deal for us and People get buried, uh, they're in their caskets in their Kentucky sweatsuits. Uh it's just how it is. I know here it's, you know, football and you have Clemson in South Carolina and, and there are big debates about all that and, and we're passionate about our sports. In Kentucky we're passionate about our sports too. It's just a different sport. Um, <laughs> we can't be passionate about football. Have you seen us play? Uh, so really it doesn't help us. So we wait for we kinda endure football to get to basketball season. My my aunt was Old school, loved the basketball. But here's what happened. When she got ill at the end of her life, it didn't really matter to her. It was kind of, it was interesting and odd and sort of uh, eye-opening. Because the thing that she had sort of been passionate about a lot of her life was Kentucky basketball, like many Kentucky people. But at the end of her life, she just wanted to be around her grandkids. It was kind of, I want my grandkids around. I want to be around my, my daughter's. That sort of thing. And so when we think through, if I had one month to live, what would I do? Um, Most of us go to the place of, I'd really want to develop or to enhance or to be around the people that I love. Today we're going to look at a a really kind of obscure book in the Bible. It's Philemon. If you want to turn there, it's kind of in the back of the New Testament. It's a, a personal letter. Uh, written by a guy named Paul to a guy named Philemon. Now, Philemon had a, a church in his home, evidently. Um, it, by the way, it's 25 verses long. The whole book is 25 verses long. You know, like Romans is forever, and you know John is forever. Philemon's 25 verses. And it's a personal letter to a guy named Philemon who has a church in his home who's a slaveholder. Understand the culture. That was just part of the culture. And a lot of times, slaveholders, you as a, a businessman might own slaves because it would give you the opportunity to hire people that would do things, hire them, you'd buy them to do things you couldn't do. A lot of times, these slaves were people who came from other countries. A country would be overtaken by another country, and, and they would carry the more educated people into, back with them. And so, many times, a slave would be better educated than the person that owned them. It's kind of that culture. And so, you would hire somebody to be an accountant for you, or you would, you would buy them to be an accountant for you, or you'd buy them to be um, a manager of your home, that sort of thing. All right. So, Philemon is the owner. He's not only a churchman, but he has a church in his home. Evidently, it's a nice church. But he also owns slaves, at least one slave, a guy named Onesimus. Now, The background of this story is Onesimus, um, he escapes, he runs away. And as in most cultures, a runaway slave has no rights. And uh, so if he were caught, he would be imprisoned, uh, he would be beaten, um, he could easily be executed. So this this is the environment where Paul writes this letter. Okay, so he writes to Philemon, his friend, by the way. Let's just look at it. Paul writes, when I remember you, Philemon, in my prayer, uh, prayers, I always thank God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, very personal. I, I hear about you. Um, word, word on the street is uh, you're doing well uh, by people. and That's great. And then he goes on. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, <laughs> Paul is sort of like the bishop. He has some pastoral authority in the life of um, of Philemon. He, He could make him, what he's saying, I can make you do, I could order you to do what you need to do. I could make you do your duty, is what he says. Yet, I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And many people believe Paul is writing this letter from prison. I'm appealing to you for my child, Onesimus. Now, I want you to understand how beautiful that is. Um, he, this, is uh, this is what we speculate happened. Onesimus escaped the home of Philemon. He goes to a place where Paul is preaching. Paul is preaching, and Onesimus becomes a follower of Christ. And he begins to help Paul as a follower of Christ in his imprisonment. Uh, in that day, you had to think about prison differently as well. Uh, prison wasn 't you know a place where the government paid for you. You had to supply your own uh, food, you had to meet your own needs. You were incarcerated, you were chained up, but you had to provide for yourself. and so Paul would have people that would help him, and Onesimus became one of these people that would help him so he said i 'm appealing to you for my child onesimus i mean it 's just like this they have a, a love for one another." whose father I have become during my imprisonment. He likely became a follower of Christ, Onesimus did, under the preaching of Paul. Now, next couple of verses. I am sending him back to you. Time out. Time out. If you're a runaway slave, where's the one place you do not want to go? Back. I I I, I sort of picture this in my mind. Paul saying, Onesimus, come in here. I've got an idea. And Onesimus, you know, been helping him. He's like, "Okay, here's what I think you should do. You should go back to your slave owner, the guy who has the has the right to beat you or execute you, and you should go back to him and apologize. I am sending him back to you. All right, <laughs> as a pastor." Paul had to know that this was going to go okay. I mean, nobody wants to set anybody up for failure. As a coach, you don't want to set up your, your, you know, your, uh, your players to fail. Paul certainly must have known that Philemon was going to be okay with this. But I'm, going to, I'm sending him back to you. I want to keep him with me so that he might help me, be a service to me here in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent. I'm sending him back to you, I'd I'd really like to keep him, he's a pretty good help to me, he's great to have around, but I don't want to do that without asking you first. I don't want to do that without your permission. I could write you and send it with someone else, but Onesimus needs to confront you. You need to confront Onesimus. You got look, the Bible talks about this a lot. Here's the problem with texting and writing and, and those kind of things. Jesus said, if you have conflict with one another, go to them face to face. Paul is simply living out what Jesus taught. Put them in the same room together so they can work out their disagreements. Now, Philemon had really nothing to risk here, other than his reputation, which is a big deal. All right, let's go on. So, if you consider me your partner, I'm sending him back. I want you to send him back to me. I want you to forgive him, and then I want you to send him back to me. If you consider me your partner, welcome him as you'd welcome me. If he's wronged you in any way, (laughs) he he ran away. If he's wronged you in any way, well, you know he's wronged him in in a way. He ran away. It's kind of funny. If he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything like the money that you bought him with, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand and I'll repay it. Here's what I, I've discovered in life. Everybody makes mistakes and everybody needs forgiveness. And Paul was saying, I need you, Philemon, as leader in a church to offer forgiveness to someone who has done you a grievous wrong. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. What, what Onesimus did wasn't s- simply unimportant. It was really important. Everybody makes mistakes and everybody needs forgiveness. And Paul was saying to Philemon, you need, as a follower of Christ, to forgive. I read a really interesting story. This is a guy named Val Peterson this fellow on the left, he passed away in 2012 um, in July. And he he knew he was dying, and so he wrote his own obituary. And it went viral. I don't know if you read it, but I'm going to read it to you because it's really, really interesting. So this is what he writes, his own obituary. So he dies, and they put this in the newspaper. Now that I have gone to my reward, I have confessions and things I should now say. As it turns out, I am the guy who stole the safe from the Motorview drive-in back in June 1971. 40 years ago. I could have left that unsaid, but I wanted to get it off my chest. Also, I'm not really a Ph.D. This is great, by the way. This is going to make you think about every doctor you've ever been to. I'm not a Ph.D. What happened was that the day I went to pay off my college student loan at the University of Utah, the girl working there behind the desk put my receipt in the wrong stack. Two weeks later, a Ph.D. diploma came in the mail. I didn't even graduate. I didn't even graduate college, much less Ph.D. That's after the master's and the the next thing. Um, I only went for three years. In fact, uh, I never did learn what the letters Ph.D. even stand for. That's where you... For all of you electrical engineers I have worked with, I'm sorry. But you have to admit, my designs always work very well and were well engineered, and I always made you laugh at work. To Disneyland... You can now throw away that ban for Life file you have on me. Uh, I'm not a problem anymore. And SeaWorld, San Diego, too, if you read this. That that was his obituary. There's a, a, a verse that says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. I mean, the guy needed to confess, and so he confessed. And with Paul and Onesimus, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody needs forgiveness. And it's really awesome if somebody will take up for you. Called an advocate. If somebody will advocate for you. And Paul, on behalf of Onesimus, was saying, "I, Onesimus is my friend. He, he is my child in Christ. Whatever he owes, whatever punishment he deserves, I'll take it. The Bible has a cool verse about Jesus advocating for us at the right hand of God. I always think about that when I think of an advocate. We have somebody, when we become followers of Christ, who takes up for us. His name is Jesus. Onesimus had a guy named Paul, and Paul was an advocate. And it's in relationships. Here's the thing. Deep relationships always have an element of forgiveness. They always have an element of belief. I forgive you, and I believe in better things. And then when we express that belief to someone or in someone, it takes that relationship to a deeper level. You want to deepen your relationships. And and by the way, we're wired. God wired us for relationships. You think back to to Genesis. God created man and, and he said it is not good for him to be alone. God hardwired us for relationships. It's just how it is. So the big picture is I need relationships. Sometimes they're going to be messy. Even though they're messy, I'm still going to need them because we're wired for them. We're wired to have relationships. So if I'm going to deepen them, what do I need to do? That's what we're going to talk about next couple of minutes. First, I have to admit my own faults. It's a great place to be because it sort of sets a, a, a baseline. I, I have to kind of know there's a standard, and my standard isn't I don't make mistakes, but you do. The standard is I make mistakes just like you. It helps in every realm of life. When I remember that I also am a mistaker. The Bible calls it a sinner. When I make mistakes, I, make, I sin. I sometimes don't do the right things. This is a great starting point. Jesus talked about this one time. He said, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? And By the way, this is hyperbole, the greatest form of, of Jewish humor. Everybody would have giggled when he said this. How can you think of saying... Let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye. You're a hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Examine yourself. Hey, log face eye man. This is a rough translation. Hey, log face eye man. You don't get to look at the speck in another person's eye until you take the log out of your own eye. It's just simple. Hey, self-evaluate. Understand, when somebody does you wrong, guess what? there's a good likelihood that you've done somebody else wrong as well. You've got to own your own stuff. I heard about marriage counseling. This couple went to marriage counseling. They were kind of arguing all the time. And so the counselor finally got to the root of this. They kept blaming one another. They never really looked at their own stuff. And so the counselor just sits them down, and he, he says to the wife, Listen, I want you to tell me what you are causing what, what problems you're bringing to the to marriage right now what, what things do you need to own and she sort of calmed down took a deep breath and she said well sometimes i'm jealous sometimes i get angry sometimes i i i don't always say the things the way i want to say them and he said that's good that's good and he looked at the husband and he said okay now what 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 are you what what errors do you have in this conflict? And he said, Well, for me, it all started when I married her. Uh, there, there's a there's this this is challenging for us because we don't do it naturally. We we see it is so easy to see the faults in other people. I mean, it's so easy. Good grief, I, I could criticize all day long. We we have people who do this professionally. We have movie critics, we have sports critics, we have music critics, I mean, everything that happens, there is a critic. If you uh, have ever tweeted anything, every tweet can be misunderstood, misinterpreted. Uh, One of the most fun things to do is look at a tweet and you go, oh, somebody, I bet somebody took that wrong, and then look at the responses, because guess what, somebody took that wrong. We're critical. We live in a hyper-critical society. If there's one thing, if we get nothing else today, then to understand, I've got to admit my own faults. In relationships, it is so, for relational health, it is so important that I start with, I make mistakes too. I make a lot of mistakes too. The second thing is, I've got to determine who significant people are. If I had one month to live, now, if I had one month to live, this isn't your Christmas card list. This isn't everybody that are, are your Facebook friends. Just confession time. Does anybody have Facebook friends you have no idea who they are? Anybody? How, why do we do that? I, I look at people, I look at these things that come up on my Facebook post, and I'm like, I don't even know them. I don't know how I know them. And then so I'll think, well, I'll look, I'll look at their page, you know, they have that, personal page, and I'll try to figure out how I know them. I've got people, I have no idea how I know them. Uh, it's really kind of bad, and, um, and and I don't know what to do about it, because, I mean, I don't want to unfriend them. That seems kind of unfriendly. Uh, so, I don't exactly know what to do. Um, and they'll comment on stuff, like, I'll go on a hike, and they'll, they'll write on there, uh, oh, that's beautiful. I remember when we did that once. And I'm like, really? Because I don't know who you are. Uh, that really feels bad. Sorry about that. So, this isn't those people uh, that when you're trying to figure out who are significant in my... Think of your funeral. Who's on the first couple rows? Those are the significant people in your life. And, and these are the ones you want to develop deeper relationships with. This is it's a short list, right? Now, there are people, if you had one month to live, that you'd want to have a conversation with, Right? I've got two sisters. I'd want to have a conversation with both my sisters. i want to have a conversation with my mother. I've got friends. I'd want to have a conversation with my friends. I just changed phone numbers. So I've got the task of sending everybody a text that says, hey, I changed my phone number. Now, some people I've already done and some people I haven't done yet. Why is that? Because some people are closer to me than other people. I'll get to all of them, probably. Or I won't. Uh, I, I don't know exactly. But it's the people that you contact first when you change your phone number that we're talking about here. To say, I want to be in relationship. I, I want to know how, you, how you're doing. J- Jesus modeled this. Look, we see stories about, it, it talks about multitudes of people being around Jesus. He fed the 5,000 that one time. 5,000 is a lot of people and that was just the men. There were lots of people around. Jesus talked to huge crowds, Sermon on the Mount, huge crowds. And yet, he had 12 disciples. He had guys that he hung out with. Of his 12 disciples, he had three sort of favorites, Peter, James, and John. They were kind of the guys he hung out with of the 12. They were kind of his closest friends. We we sort of know that John was his best friend. It's just how it works. Now, don't misunderstand this to, to think, well, Jesus loves some people better than others. It has nothing to do with that. You're just going to have an inner circle of friends. You're going to have a group of people that are closer to you than others. This is who, these are your significant people that you want to make sure you have a relationship with, that you've developed that relationship. And and I would dare say let them know. You might say, well, they know. Well, maybe, maybe they need to know again. Today is my sister's birthday, my, my middle sister. She's older than me. They're all older than me. Um, uh, I can't even tell you her age, but it's right after 59. And uh, her birthday's today. And um, I'll call her today, but, you know, I talk to her several times a year because and when I go home, I make sure to go see her. And That's a, that's a relationship you want to maintain. So you figure out, uh, who's significant in my life? The third thing is, I let the people I, meaning, I have meaningful relationships know it. i got to let them know that I love them. Now, here's what's really, really tough. This is tough. What if somebody is meaningful to you, and you maybe don't agree with them, or you can't affirm everything they're doing, And it's tough because they take that as not love. And you want to be marked as somebody that loves. And you want them to know that you love them, even though you don't agree with them. This is tough. And the Bible gives us some some guidance on this. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with people. It's possible. I mean, you have to live according to your convictions. You have to live according to what... You know, the Bible teaches, sometimes it makes it very difficult in family situations. And so, you let them know you love them. And hopefully, if something, you know, crisis happens, they'll know you love them. You do your part. as, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, it's a kind of a key phrase, as far as it depends on you, you do this. Fourth thing, I love with actions I can loving people is more than saying I love you man I love you it's 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 actions in fact in first John it says dear friends let us stop just saying we love each other stop it let us really show it by our actions why don't you do something because here's the deal meaningful relationships are built on a series of small acts done over a period of time let me give you the five love languages Gary Chapman talks about these. Acts of kindness, and and everybody's love language is different. I'm bilingual up here, by the way. I've got two or three of these I like. Um, Acts of kindness, spending quality time, physical touch, receiving gifts, words of affirmation. Now, here's what happens. If I'm a words of affirmation guy, if that's the thing that really stokes me, kind of gets me excited, I sort of assume everybody's like that. Or, if gifts are the thing that really motivate me, then I'm going I'm to be a gift giver because I think everybody's motivated the same way I am. The trick is figure out, observe, watch, um, experiment, figure out what the people who are significant in your life, what they need from you. Do they need acts of kindness? Do they need quality time? Do they need a physical touch? Do they need... Uh, receiving gifts do they need words of affirmation and then you give them what they need not particularly what you like this is putting others above yourself that's kind of what what it is I I was contemplating this week if I had one month to live it would be so easy to fall into I'm just going to do for myself I'm going to watch what I want to on television. I'm going to eat what I want to. I'm going to have Elise bring my slippers. I'm going to have Miriam put a little blankie over me when I'm laying on the couch. And then I got to thinking about that's what happens now. Uh, so uh, maybe I need to be different than that. Don't, don't just say you love somebody. That's the whole point. You, you, you prove it. Now, one last thing i got to ask myself, is there somebody I need to clean things up with? If you had one month to live, and you had, like, there's a thing out there, and it it bothers you, but you just, here's what happens when when stuff bothers us a lot of times. We just stop thinking about it. I'll just push it to the back. There's this relationship, I'd like it to be good, but it's not. And I, I push it to the back. There was a guy named Bill Barker. He used to work for the Ford Motor Company, and um, he became a Christian. And then he be- he got baptized, and he he started to really it started to bother him that he had stolen from the company. He had stolen tools, he had stolen parts, and he just felt convicted. And so one day, um, he loads up his car. When he gets to work, he gets a wheelbarrow. He puts all the stuff in that and rolls it into the foreman and he says, I'm a Christian now, I was baptized, this is all the stuff I stole. <laughs> now, can you imagine that happening at where you work? I mean, just think about it. Um, and so the foreman was, he was flummoxed, he didn't know what to do. I mean, he was happy that the stuff was back, but what do you do with this guy? So he goes to, to Ford himself and he said, I, I've got a situation, I really don't know what to do. Ford says, what happened? Well, this guy got baptized, and he brought all the stuff he stole back. What do we need to do? (laughs) This is Ford's quote. I love it. I think we need to dam up the Detroit River and baptize the entire city. Uh, That's what we need to do. (laughs) If if there's a grievance with somebody, and, and... and they're a close friend. You know, it's funny. I, I, I taught this before, several years ago. There was a guy in college that I was an RA, which was supposed to mean that you're a good person and you take care and you're decent. And I, I, I pranked this guy. And it was fun. But wrong. It was wrong. It was wrong. Felt good at the time, but it was wrong. And um, I never apologized. Now, this is when I was in college, this guy, he's a he's a preacher now, and I'm a preacher, and I hadn't talked to him forever. But it was bothering me. This is kind of a goofy illustration, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I found him on Facebook, because you can find anybody on Facebook, and um, I, I sent him a, a private message. Hey, man, you may not even remember this. Guess what? He remembered. He remembered. I said, I'm... I'm sorry I did that. I, I was in a position of authority, and I, I, I was just I'm, I was goofy. I, I was just goofing off, and I made a mistake there. And I, if I had that to do over again, I wouldn't do it. And I apologize, and I ask that you forgive me. Now he was so gracious. I understand, he didn't have to be, but he was so gracious. And he said, "Oh man, that was that was a long time ago. And we're older now, and." It's okay. He it was good to me. But there are times when you just have to make things you have to make things right. If if you were I wear my watch on my left hand because that's what normal sane people do, but I know some of you wear it on your right hand. If you were to switch it, let's say you switched your watch, or you, you have a, a stud in your nose, I know some of you have that, and you change nostril, you know, I know that could happen. I think it's possible maybe, I don't um, or you have your ring and you want to put it on the, if, if you were to, or you wear your shoes on the wrong feet, <laughs> some of you may do that too, uh, if, this feels super weird, sometimes you have to be uncomfortable, and today's message might, <laughs> there might be some discomfort to this message, oh man. I need to let the people I love know that I love them. I need to get some things right that maybe I've kind of forgotten for a while. See, the bottom line is we who have followed Christ want to be characterized by love. It's Jesus said, this is how they'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. You'll be characterized by love. This is kind of where God wants us to be is known that we, for our love for people. So the, the God piece is, I can love because I've been forgiven. This is sort of the, the founding point. In, in our culture, we have a slogan, forgive and forget. But really, the Bible tells us, forgive and remember. You must make allowances for other people's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you forgive others if last week's message was live like you're dying then this week's message is love like you're forgiven because you're forgiven and because you're forgiven you can love and you can forgive we we really this is bothering me we really don't know what happened with philemon Uh, we don't know if he forgave although scholars speculate if he hadn't forgiven that we wouldn't have the letter It was addressed not only just to Philemon but also to the church that meets in his home. And so it's likely that Philemon uh, greeted Onesimus with the kindness and forgiveness that Paul encouraged. But the people with whom we have significant relationships need to know a couple of things. I'm going to be quick to love you. I'm going to be quick to believe in you. I'm going to be quick to forgive you. I, I talk about it sometimes. Well, I have a little expression. I, I'm for you. I, I want you to succeed. I, I'm for you. I love you and I believe in you. And if I need to forgive you, I forgive you. And I'm for you. Because... We've been forgiven much, and we have the opportunity to forgive much. This is, this is the whole gospel. This is who we are as followers of Christ. We're quick to forgive, we're quick to believe, and we're quick to love because that's what Christianity looks like in practice. So most people believe Philemon did that because he was a leader, and this is what he should do. Father, we thank you for... Um, A difficult message today that relationships matter to us and we need to take, um, we need to be intentional about making them great, about deepening them. Thank you for guidance in that today and we pray Lord that we would live like we're forgiven. That we would forgive like we're forgiven, that we would love like we're forgiven. That we would treat people the way we want to be treated.